Hello and welcome, my name is Leah Barber and you're listening to Next Gen Femme, a podcast dedicated to celebrating women's achievements, be it in business, sports, STEM or the arts. We speak to women that persevered through ups and downs to pursue their passions. This episode of Next Gen Femme is supported by FameLab. FameLab is the world's leading science communication competition designed to inspire, motivate and develop scientists and engineers to actively engage with the public. Created by the Cheltenham Science Festival in the UK, in Ireland the competition is funded by Science Foundation Ireland and managed by the British Council in partnership with universities and science research centres across the country. For more information, please visit britishcouncil.ie slash famelab. You know, there is the leaky pipeline thing where as time goes on, you lose more women as they progress throughout their careers and they choose different options outside STEM perhaps. But then... There's all of these other factors that we've discussed that are actively pushing them out as well, you know. In episode 11, we speak with Dr. Neve Kavanagh, a physicist whose research focuses on building communication systems for the internet of the future. She is an award-winning researcher, communicator and mentor and was named as one of 20 incredible women leading the way to scientific advancement by Silicon Republic. Dr. Kavanagh speaks with us about her passion for diversity and inclusion within STEM and how she hopes to see a future where people of all backgrounds, genders, races and sexual orientations can reach their full potential within the workforce. All this and more in the next instalment of Next Gen Femme. We're excited for you to hear our 11th episode. I hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to Next Gen Femme, our next generation female, however you'd like to put it. We're back again this week with another episode and we are delighted to be joined by Dr. Neve Kavna, another doctor in our midst. I'm also <laughs> here with my old faithful Femalone, Dr. Femalone as well. Hi. <laughs> uh, so Dr. Neve Kavanagh has a PhD in physics uh, slash photonics. She's an award-winning science communicator and an advocate for equality, diversity and inclusion. Hello, Neve. Hello. Thank Thanks you. for having me. Thank you so much That's for joining you. us. We're very excited to have you on our podcast. And as we've said in the last podcast, thank you so much for taking the time out of what is probably a really busy schedule right now. But we are delighted to have you on the podcast and we're excited to hear your story and your journey. And as as I'm sure a lot of our listeners are as well. Um, So we'll start with by you introducing yourself, your name, your age, if you don't mind, occupation and an interesting or random fact, which doesn't have to be about yourself. It can just be a random fact. Okay, yeah. Um, I am Dr. Neve Kavna. I'm 29 years old. I'm hitting the big 3-0 this year, this October. Um, Same. Same. Yeah. I, say, <laughs> I, I think we all are. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Oh, cool. <laughs> um, I have a PhD in physics. My fun fact is I'm also a second degree black belt in Taekwondo what? and a professional stilt walker. Okay, okay. Wow. Back up. <laughs> wow. How do you even... Okay, Taekwondo, I can understand that you... <laughs> A few classes and okay. Sorry, more than a few. <laughs> okay, a couple. <laughs> so, yeah. But I'm sorry. Explain how we got into that last part there. The professional stilt walking. Yeah, um, it's always a great one to have uh, for icebreakers and stuff. I'm from Wexford, and you. we have a street theater slash circus group down there called We Bullock. Um, it means yellow belly in uh, Irish because they're. Sports jerseys are purple and yellow on their bellies. And yeah, they had a youth group and me me and my brother, we joined, I think when I was in transition year, maybe just because, you know, it's transition year time to try something new. 
And yeah, they would teach you like circus skills, juggling, all these different things. And then one day they taught sit walking and me and my brother, we just walked straight away. So um, they hired us and yeah, I've been working on and off uh, doing gigs for them since I was like 16. I do less now since I moved to Cork, but I did... You know, I do like St. Patrick's Day parades. Uh, I did the opening of the Cork Jazz Parade this year and stuff as well. So, yeah, and I've traveled to like Israel and stuff to do a parade up there. So that was that was interesting. It's insane. (laughs) (laughs) I I traveled to Israel. I was on kangaroo stilts, which are bouncy stilts. That was I did that for, um, I was dressed, oh, this is such a crazy thing and it doesn't even sound true, but it is true, I promise. I was dressed as a prawn on a kangaroo still <laughs> as an extra in a Bollywood film when it came to film in Dublin. It was called Eck the Tiger back in 2012, so. Oh my okay, yeah. I think hands down, that has probably been, those two things have probably been the best random fact we've had on the podcast. I, I mean, I have to hand it to you, Neve. I thought I knew you, but wow. <laughs> you think you know someone and then you find out they were a prawn on stilts in a Bollywood film. You really, you know. <laughs> That's, I don't even know what to say, whether to say congratulations on being a professional stilt walker and is it black belt in Taekwondo, is that what you said? Yeah, second degree. Second degree. The one just above black belts. So yeah, it's like a thing in my family. Uh, Both of my parents are black belts. And yeah, me and my brother and my sister, we did it when we were younger as well. And I've picked it back up now since uh, finishing the PhD, uh, which is really, really nice. It's been great to be able to do something physical. That's not, it's not competitive, but it also just, I think it gives you a lot of respect for your body and it just like makes you move in new and different ways. So I've, I've really enjoyed getting back into it it's also nice after something like the PhD to go back to something that you were used to or that yeah exactly that's so true it has been really nice to go back to something familiar and that's challenging in a different way you know what I mean Mm -hmm. yeah we've kind of digressed a little bit so we'll rein it back in there but there were some fantastic random facts I have to say so our podcast (laughs) is all about showcasing badass females and you even by just the intro of random facts you're definitely a badass female but you, as I mentioned, have a PhD in physics um, and you're award-winning a science communicator. So we would love for you to kind of take us on the journey of where you are or how you got to where you are now in your career or your journey. So where that you think that kind of started for you and how it kind of progressed over time. And I'd love for you to kind of share that with us and our listeners. Sure. Yeah, I'd be delighted to. I guess as a child I liked to read a lot I liked learning and I liked maths and my mom and dad were super encouraging of me and my siblings to explore the world and find out new things and work hard at school so you know I kind of I did a lot of that in primary school I didn't have a lot of friends in primary school so I had more friends imaginary friends in books It was really in secondary school, I think, that I started to consider science as a career option. I had a great physics teacher and she didn't mind me asking loads of questions. And that, I think, really helped me to enjoy the subject a lot and gain, you know, a deeper understanding and an appreciation of the things that we were learning in class were actually used in the in the real world. And that was one thing I really loved to see how that fundamental science had practical real world applications and that it was making people's lives better at the end of the day you know mm-hmm. yeah but I think I chose physics really for quite practical reasons I thought a degree in 
in physics would give me a lot of options to have a good job essentially in an interesting career so that was really why I put it up the top on my CAO when it came to make the choice but I didn't go to university straight away from secondary school I deferred my place at UCC which means that they hold it for you until the next year mm-hmm. um, I'm the eldest of three children and I knew that my brother and sister they wanted to go to college as well so I decided to take a year out to work full-time and save money for college so I worked as a waitress, I worked as a housekeeper, babysitter, silt walking, as I said, pretty much any job that I could. Uh, and it was tough, but it gave me a very valuable experience because I think it gave me a different perspective on the world of work. And it only reaffirmed my choice about what I wanted to do and why I was going to college, because I really, after all of that, I wanted to go get more qualifications and by the end of it, I was I was looking forward to going back and to studying. So I think it allowed me to have that breathing space in between the leave cert, which I put a lot of pressure on yeah. myself about, you know. So it was like, no, I'm I'm ready for this, and off I went then to UCC. Mm-hmm. And would you would you recommend that kind of uh, year out or a time? Because I I do think working in a service industry is probably one of the most important things anyone can do for themselves anyway um I think everyone should do a stint uh, working behind a till or working in a shop or working mm. because um it just gives you so much respect for the job yeah do you know that kind of way I always think I always think of it at Christmas time do you know when you're queuing up and people are warm, <gasps> yeah people the and I'm like you've never worked a day behind yeah a till. you don't and I just think it's really really important yeah it does it gives you it definitely gives you a different perspective on um on those jobs that through the nature of them you tend to interact with a lot throughout throughout your life so it's nice to be able to see it from the other the other point of view um I like for me and my brother and sister also took a year out before going to university um I I think it was one of the best things I ever did I always tell people about it just so that they are aware of that as an option it's always tricky to recommend things that worked for you to other people because it's different for everyone um a lot of people do say that if you take a year out Maybe it, you might not go back to university once you get used to having the money in your pocket. Maybe it's hard to go back to studying full time. But for me, it was it was really the opposite. Like I said, it really only reaffirmed my choice. Yeah, it gave me a, a sense of perspective, especially when it came to the PhD, because the PhD was challenging in so many different ways. But I still think waitressing was the hardest job I've ever done. Carrying ten hot plates for 10 hours, trying to remember everyone's order, trying to remain personable the whole time and... You're just kind of at the bottom of the the ladder in terms of the, you know, the, the power structure of that environment you're in. And I just found that so challenging and it re- really made me want to um, go out and find some place where I could have a bit more influence over the things that I could do with my day. So you took your year out and you went and studied physics, an undergrad, I assume, in, in physics in UCC. Is there any particular yeah. reason why you picked the course in UCC was there option for a physics course in other universities just curious about your choice yeah no there was a lot of people uh from uh my school in Wexford went to Dublin uh to study uh their courses but I had been to Dublin a lot when I was younger and I never really felt a home there it always kind of stressed me out and I just never really liked it Mm -hmm. so I knew I didn't want to go to Dublin Regardless of the courses, I just didn't, I couldn't see myself living there every day for four years. I didn't, the closest thing to to me was at WIT in Waterford, Um, but my dad taught there, so I didn't want to go there. (laughs) 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 
Tammy. <laughs> I wanted to take a bit of a further hop and skip than that. So then uh, Cork and Limerick were the next options. Um, and my boyfriend at the time was studying in Limerick. So I was kind of adamant not to go there because everyone <laughs> thought I was would just like following my boyfriend. So, mm-hmm. so, so. <laughs> uh, I was like, no. So then it came to Cork. And then really, I came down here to visit. And I, I really, really loved it straight away. I loved the campus. I just got a different um, atmosphere and it, it really it really suited me, I found. So that mm-hmm. it was more about trying to see where I could see myself living for the next the next few years. The course itself, when I read about it, seemed really interesting. And they also um, had the connection with um, other research institutes as well. So I thought that that was that was pretty cool. And like really, yeah, it was. It was, it maybe should have been a more difficult decision, but honestly, for me, trying to find out what to do is the most difficult thing. And then where to do it was, was not a big struggle after that. Mm-hmm. I totally um, understand or empathize the feeling of Cork. Like I went to college in UL. I'm also from Wexford and I went to Dublin a lot. And although I like Dublin, it is definitely not a place I could see myself living. So it, there was just a homier feeling. I always say that Cork is like a city full of country people. Um, yeah. So I totally, I totally understand. Even though <laughs> it sounds like a process of elimination for all the other locations that you had a choice to go, but yes, yeah, it's, it's cool that you decided to come to to, to Cork. Considering yeah, and I really just landed on my feet here. Mm-hmm. Like it was, you know, one of those things where like you look back and you're just like, God, that really was the right decision to mm-hmm. make at the time, and I didn't really know how right it was. Yeah, I get yeah. that. You're in UCC, you're doing your physics degree. How did, I assume it was a four-year course? It was, yeah. How were those four years? It was tough. It was, it was really tough. Um, I think trying to, even just after the year, I trying to get back into that, into that mind frame of studying was, was, uh, was a challenge. And it was one, I think that I, you know, that I, I met, but it, it was an issue for a little while um, because everyone else was maybe fresh out of uh, leaving search and everything was right at the front of the reins, whereas I had to dig a little bit deeper for all the math. And then as well, because I went to an all-girls convent school at the time, they didn't offer applied maths. Uh, I didn't get to study that, so that made my first year in physics a little bit more challenging as well because there's a lot of overlap between oh those two God, subjects. applied maths would have been so helpful for engineering as well. Why? Yes. Like it's such an overlooked subject in so many schools. Like it is, yeah, yeah. Fortunately, I do know that that's the school that I went to. It now it now does offer applied maths as an option. So oh, um, I'm really glad to see that. I think those those two things were the were in my first year were um, a big challenge, and I was very lucky, though I must say, in my in the year that I happened to uh, get into. And this is another reason why I'm so glad I took the year out because the group of people that I studied with in my undergrad in UCC were just amazing. Like we all worked together um, on everything. We were very open about the challenges that we were facing, you know, struggles with just even time management, project management, mental health, everything. Everyone was just very uh, supportive of each other. And I really think that made a big difference to me uh, in terms of getting through (laughs) the four years, because I think if I was trying to do it on my own, Um, which I kind of was inclined to do that a bit more before UCC. Mm -hmm. Um, It would have been a lot more difficult to try and just persevere without asking for help. But really getting the help from my classmates made so much of a difference to getting through the the undergrad. So it was it was a tough four years, but 
But I think because of that, then I formed really, really strong relationships with those people, um, which obviously they're still some of my best friends today. So that was as someone who really hadn't had many friends before that. That was like a really big deal for me as well. (laughs) Lovely. Yeah, (laughs) that's that's always, as you said earlier, when something uh, maybe it's hindsight or whatever when something happens like you move into Cork you knew that like that was the decision that was a good decision you might not have known it was a good decision at the time but you do now because of how things have landed and that's probably how you feel maybe the same for taking that year out and then yeah if you hadn't you wouldn't be in the same year as those particular students where so kind of everything happens for a reason I suppose yeah it, give, it does it gives me a lot of faith now mm. as well like when I, we were trying to make decisions when I look back and I I think that like, look, all these things, they did work out. Yeah, it gives me a lot of, it just gives me a lot of hope mm-hmm. that like the, the things that I decide now might have the same repercussions later on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you find just that you're mentioned there, you're saying that, that all the, your classmates or whatever, you were all very open and helpful towards each other. And you said that sometimes you were more inclined to do stuff solo, I suppose, maybe before you went to UCC. Do you think that was kind of maybe because back then physics and any kind of any kind of science and math stuff and fee was probably maybe the same for you that it wasn't really um a very female dominated I suppose area so did you find that you kind of had to do the stuff yourself because it wasn't as supported maybe is the right word but at the time definitely I have to kind of like just think about my answer to that one because when I definitely when I chose to do uh, physics initially, it was kind of a lot of raised eyebrows and kind of like, you know, what are you going to do with that? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, what does a physicist do uh, in every day? And I didn't really have the answers. I just knew that it was something that would give me the most options. Well, I thought it was something that would give me the most options for my next steps. When I came to UCC originally, uh, I definitely felt a lot of pressure with being underrepresented. You know, I felt like if I didn't answer a question right in class, that it reflected badly on my gender as a whole. Like I thought if I didn't get good results in a test, that it would reaffirm that incorrect assumption that, you know, physics isn't for women and stuff Mm -hmm. like that so it definitely it added a lot of a lot of pressure and I had to just let that go because you know all you can do is is your best once I got closer to my other classmates as well I spoke to other uh, women at my class and I felt that I found that they were feeling the same way as well so definitely uh there was an additional pressure because of the underrepresentation in university and then before that as well yeah, I, I I was bullied a lot in secondary school and I think that I did, whether it was because of the bullying or my own personal preferences, I did kind of fall into, I guess, that nerd box of, you know, liking to read, being good at math. But it's hard to know sometimes when you look back at these things, when people tell you you're a certain way, if you actually are or if you just kind of become that over time, you know, because I think because of that, I, you know, you know, the stereotypes we have with um, nerdy people that like, you know, they're not the most socially yet. And I thought that's how I was. And then I got to college and I got friends and people treated me nicely and yeah, differently. And then I found, no, I actually am a very social person. You don't have to be completely emotionally unintelligent to be uh, good at science, basically. Yeah, <laughs> And we're given the chance 
other people's perceptions were not um, placed on you because I found when I went to college, it was almost like a, a clean slate from the start. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and you specifically kind of went to a college where um, most of your peers from home weren't there and you're also essentially a year behind everyone else that had left anyway. So that was probably a really good thing for you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you're dead right. And I remember on the day that my parents dropped me up to UCC um, and I had fallen asleep in the car on the way up and then I woke up and I was outside the UCC gates and they were like, all right, off you go now. Good luck. You know, I was like, oh, right. Yeah, grand. Uh, Sure. Yeah. Okay. And I went into like the student center where they were doing the orientation and I just completely was just like, oh, my God, girl, like, what are you doing here? And I went into the bathrooms and I just kind of like just sat there being like just being like oh god like what are you doing thinking you can do physics like go just go back and like be a waitress and go back to Exeter you know people and I just totally had like a freak out and it was I had a similar freak out I got oh, really orientation tour yeah oh so my gosh I moved in on whatever the weekend or whatever and then we had orientation on the Monday and I got separated from my group and then I was like I have no idea how to get around this place and I went to um the one place I knew I could go to the toilet which was my apartment <laughs> I sat there and I was like I don't think I can do this yeah like I don't know anybody and I think it really just it was a make or break point mm. kind of that week well, for me, we all—that whole house when when everybody had moved in, we all went out for drinks, and then it just sort of all fell into place after that. It is, it is quite daunting. I, I I totally understand that situation. Yeah, it was, and it was—you're dead right in terms of a make or break because that's—I felt like it was for me either I was going to stop and go back, or I was going to make it be different this time, and I did. I I tried to. I didn't reinvent myself. I just tried to be myself as I wanted to be before. It wasn't a um, movie, you know, like time to reinvent yourself, princess. Don't no. That's not what we're getting at. <laughs> no, I just, I just went and I, I decided like, I was so funny. Like one of the girls from my court, there was uh, only one other girl that finished um, the course that I did. There was in a class of 20 in the end, uh, two of us uh, finished together. And, uh, I'm still super close with her and and like my other classmates, as I said, but I decided on that first orientation day, I walked up to her and I was like, you're going to be my friend. (laughs) And I had like a very intense energy, let's say. So she was quite scared of me, but we are still friends. (laughs) And that's the most important thing. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I think what what Fee said there was just like, we're not saying to go into college and reinvent yourself but as you said it allowed you the opportunity to be who you were always were who you always were was was you know what I'm saying yeah that's who I wanted (laughs) Um, to be as well yeah you know and there's a difference sometimes between who you are and who you want to be Mm because every day you like you know you want to try and be the best version of yourself and that's what I found that going to UCC gave me the opportunity Mm -hmm. to do and it was also I find I don't know if I found it in my course because my course was very, very male dominated. Like, I think there was only two females. I think it it definitely when you go into a course like that, like physics, something that you're interested, you're 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 going to meet people that are interested in the same 
things you were because of the choices that you made to study that subject if you if you understand what I'm saying it's everyone's interests align kind of thing whereas in in secondary school everyone is different and and they will go off to their do their courses that they've chosen and will find people that they're more aligned with as well because of their interests so I think college is definitely for a lot of people where they find their tribe for want of a better word the people mm. that they your mantras there now oh yeah. i love a good mantra because <laughs> 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 in school you're only friends with the person you sit beside because either your surnames of the same initial yeah or you're geographically live close together and that's kind of the only reason you're friends like realistically yeah. whereas mm-hmm. in college it's your interests or your opinions or your differences actually make you friends, you know? So yeah. I think he is really right there. Yeah. And you have a lot more autonomy in, in university as well. Like you can opt out of a lot more things, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Even if you don't happen to have friends in your class, you know, there's societies, there's clubs, there's mm-hmm. so many different avenues for meeting people who have similar interests that I didn't really find that was the same for for me in secondary school. I did a lot of different clubs and things like that. But mm-hmm. as you said, yeah, in terms of just being stuck beside whoever you're stuck beside in, in the class at, from 9am to 4 o'clock in the afternoon, <laughs> yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're all just trying to get by. Having said that, obviously, some people, are, I would still have a few friends from from my secondary school as well, but it's definitely not the same as the college friends that I would have. It's two very kind of different sort of relationships, I suppose. But we're kind of digressing a yeah. little bit. So you you did your four years of physics. As you said, the first year was a struggle or mm-hmm. a little bit more of a struggle than maybe the rest. Obviously, the other ones probably had their own obstacles and, and struggles as well as you kind of completed your year, mm-hmm. your four years. After your four years, where did you find yourself then? Yeah, so my next step then, um, I kind of discovered that along the way in UCC. In terms of, you know, it's kind of those things where you look back and you're trying to figure out how did I get from A to B, like what was the B, C, D. And when I was on holidays with my family one summer, we went to see a magic fountain. So yeah, I was at the fountain thing and it was guiding all these different colors in all these different directions. And I just thought it was like fascinating. So then in my third year in UCC, they did that thing where they say to you, oh, uh, go off and make a presentation that you'll be graded on and you can do it on anything you want to research. Uh, Which for me, I was like, oh my God, I can't think of one single thing. that I want to do a presentation on. <laughs> it was just the kind of thing where it's like so many options is overwhelming. So I decided to figure out how that fountain worked. And that then led me to the concept of guiding light, which then led me to optical fibers and lasers. And then as part of researching for that project, I went to the photonics lab at Tyndall National Institute. Mm-hmm. Uh, Photonic is the science of light. So I was so impressed with the lab and the people and the work that they were doing there that I asked one of the researchers I was interviewing, I said, like, do you do summer jobs? Like, is that a thing? Can I work here? (laughs) (laughs) So they're like, yeah, of course. But I didn't know that in the previous summer has been, you know, going back to Wexford to work as a waitress, to work as a housekeeper. So I was just like, oh, my God, this is great. Like I did two summer internships there and then I ended up doing my final year project 
um, there as well. And I, I just loved it. Like, I really love being in that research atmosphere. I'd never experienced that before and being able to contribute to, you know, these new and exciting technologies that were hopefully going to transform society in positive ways. When it came to considering what was next and my next steps, I hadn't a clue initially. And then it was only through being involved in those internships I found out really what a PhD was I had no idea no one else in my family had done a PhD before I honestly I know it's like it sounds silly but I thought it was something like from the movies I thought like only Americans did PhDs (laughs) I thought like it was you know for maybe medical doctors and like I don't know like people like Ross from Friends like I didn't know what a PhD was (laughs) and I was like that's not me I'm not I don't want to do that and I also didn't know that you could earn while you learned like that you could get funding to do a PhD that was like I thought you had to pay to do a PhD and I couldn't afford to pay for another four years of what I thought was going to be another four years of university but then I found out you could get funding you know in retrospect you realize it's not a lot but it's more than I had, had previously <laughs> yes it's, but it was more than I had had previously so that was when I re- when I found out all of that it was just like the stars aligned and I was like yeah great I can definitely I can do this for another four years and I thought it was going to be another four years of university but it really was so much different it was way 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 more like yeah. a job than like you know studying in college um, like so that's really how I ended up doing the PhD yeah. I said it's not like how they portrayed in the movies at all <laughs> no it isn't yeah yeah so you discovered the the uh, inverted commas magic that is a PhD and did you go straight into that after your undergrad yes so I wanted to take another year out um but the way it worked out I had applied for the Irish Research Council uh, scholarship and I didn't think I would get it, but I did. And on the day that I found out that I got my scholarship, I cried so much because I knew I was going to do it and I knew it was what I wanted to do, but I just wanted a break so badly. I was just so exhausted after the four years. It was that concept that I thought it was going to be another four years of college. And I was just like, oh my God, I can't do this. But I just couldn't, I I just couldn't turn down such an amazing opportunity. And I'm so glad I didn't because when I went to do it, it was just so different than I thought it was going to be. It allowed me to do so much more than I thought it would as well. And you want to talk about the kind of doors that opened up for you during your PhD? Sure. Yeah, I can tell you a bit about what the PhD was, if you want as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, go for it. The focus of my PhD was to build an optical communication system that could send more information faster than ever before. So this involved designing, characterizing, and then optimizing a whole system of new uh, devices. And these were developed in collaboration with other research groups. But the catch was that a lot of these devices were the first of their kind. So they were obviously non-optimal. So my goal then for my PhD project was to get all these devices to work together in a fully functioning system that could accurately send and receive high speed data to investigate future Internet solutions. And a a photonics lab looks so different than any other lab. It doesn't have, there's no, I never had to wear a white coat in my life. (laughs) I've never had to use a test tube. (laughs) It's all like um, cables and um, uh, like optical 
tables, uh, which are like these big tables that have uh, hydraulics underneath that make sure that they stay level. So everything like things don't fall off the table by accident. Um, and it's just like loads of cables everywhere and stuff like that. So it, it was just that was the time in the, in the lab for the PhD tweaking different equipment to try and get uh, the results that I needed to get or figuring out why I wasn't getting the results that I wanted yeah. to get. <laughs> the whole the whole damn thing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you did the testing and the PhD and stuff like that. So as Fee said, what, what doors did you find started opening during that time? Yeah, so in it was actually in the first year of my PhD that I discovered a science communication, which I never knew really was a thing before. I didn't know that people went out into different spaces just to talk about their their work and for the reason of trying to convey concepts to different people. I didn't know that people were able to do that in itself. And I thought that was fascinating because I really do think that science isn't finished until it's communicated. I think you need to tell people what you're doing so that it's visible but then also so people can stay informed if they choose to as well. So in 2015 I took part in FAMA which is a global science communication competition. You have three minutes to communicate a scientific concept. Uh, You can't use slides or anything but you can use props. So I took part in that but it did not go well the first time that I did it (laughs) I had prepared my talk I walked onto stage and it was in the Triscoll in Cork so it was quite a I thought like an intimidating environment the stage was quite high the spotlight was quite strong I walked onto stage they introduced me and they're like Neve Kavanagh and the second I looked at the audience I just forgot my whole talk no no it just fell out of my head like I had never known words before <laughs> and I stood there looking at the audience looking at me and from talking to people afterwards they said it was not a long time but to me it felt like you know an eternity of me saying in my head oh my god I can't remember anything you know my hands were sweating my heart was pounding all I could hear was like just the sound of my heart in my ears oh my gosh but eventually I remembered my talk and I flew through it even though I had forgotten it at the start I, th- I think I still managed to finish in less than three minutes I, don't, I was just like just get me off the stage just get me off the stage oh my gosh I talked so fast but so needless to say I did not that was the corkies I did not place anywhere that year <laughs> but I was kind of determined that I didn't want that to be uh, my only experience of it. So I said, you know, if you're going to do this, do it. If you think it's interesting, at least give it another go. So I just kind of volunteered for everything I could. Then after that, I did lots of school visits. I wrote articles. I, you know, gave people tours of the labs when they came in. And then I took part in Thesis in Three, where I came in second to Fiona. (laughs) (laughs) Which was like, amazing to me I was just like oh my gosh and I got like a fancy glass award and everyone was so lovely and I was just like oh, 
That was one of the nicest things I think we've ever done. It was so friendly yeah. and everyone is lovely. And that was my first kind of step into this world of science communication where Neve went on to absolutely amazing things after that because <laughs> a couple of months later. <laughs> yeah, so then the following year. Yeah, so that was, I think, when did, I can't remember when pieces in three was. I think that was at the start of 2016, maybe. Like in like Christmasy kind of time. Oh, something. it was. It was the end of 2015. Yeah. So then, yeah, the following, it was like April, maybe 2016. I returned to Fame Lab, and then that year I won the national final. So wow, nice. that was a, such. It was like chalk and cheese. It was such a different experience, I and yeah, that. it I was amazing. That completely didn't accept the first time, and yeah. that, <laughs> like you weren't accepting that that was going to be your your experience and that you went and completely flipped that on its head a year later like that's incredible and for those of you listening in fame lab it's an international competition Neve, um, do you want to talk about where you went after winning the ireland final oh my gosh yes because that was an interesting story as well so because then i had won the irish national final i got into the international finals which are hosted in the at the cheltenham festival every year um so i got into that and then also simultaneously because i was doing the phd i was writing papers and this was now so i started my phd in october 2014 this was like april 2016 i got my first paper was accepted to like a pretty prestigious conference in my field and the day that I was supposed to present that paper in California was the same day that I was supposed to be on stage at the International Fame Lab final no. in Cheltenham. Okay. Oh, so that was an interesting time. Uh, <laughs> interesting. You were so much better at communicating that. I'd be like, that was so shit. It was such a shit. Time. I don't know if it was because it wasn't shit because like I felt so like oh my gosh things are like maybe I'm good at this yeah <laughs> you know it was that. so strange You're very very good at the like Neve is amazing if you ever get a chance to see her she's fantastic and I'm absolutely not surprised at all that she was invited to an international peer conference in her area and a science communication because they're two very very different things they are like, they are so then they shouldn't be but, so different but yeah. they are. no they're very different um yeah and experiences to navigate as well like it's a very different attitude for both as well yeah. but yeah so that was um you you went to Cheltenham. i went i chose fame lab yeah <laughs> <laughs> I've never experienced uh, a research master's or phd telling your supervisor that you're not doing the international conference is a big deal. Yeah, like, and it was the, it was my first author paper. It was like a big conference, and it was like a big deal that I had gotten it relatively early, I guess, in my PhD. But like I, I just, I, I was just so lucky because my supervisor, uh, Dr. Fatima Gunning and Tyndall, was just the most supportive, and she could see that. I wanted to go to Fame Lab more. Yeah. So it was her that said, you can choose Fame Lab. Because I just thought it wasn't an option. I just thought I was going to California and, you know, this was the end of my Fame Lab journey. But it was her that said, no, it doesn't have to be. You get to choose. It's your career. So then she actually went to California and presented my talk for wow. me. She was attending the conference anyway. It was just one of those things like Leo was saying as well. Like when you look back, I'm just so, so glad that I did it because I don't think I was ready for that international conference yet. I think it might have maybe intimidated me a little, little bit too You're much. Very- 
so I actually went to that conference later in my PhD and I was a lot more aided a lot a lot better I think than I would have maybe at that stage I enjoyed it more because I you sometimes forget in these academic things you're allowed to enjoy them as well yeah you know oh my god yeah, yeah so true yellow enjoy the fact that it's if it's in california or um i remember my PhD, i got to go to prague and i'm gonna go see the city on one of these yeah. that's totally fine that's kind exactly. of exactly exactly <laughs> and it wasn't even like you said fiona in terms of like the supervisor like cause she was just so supportive like i just i can't believe how amazing she is but it was more so to convey to other people at tyndall and in the in my group that like no needs not going to go to to yeah. the conference she's going to go to the science communication competition that none of you have ever heard of <laughs> no, because you did super well in that and yeah. it's it, Dana has this um habit of opening up the doors yes. uh, we're saying open up the doors a lot Leah's going to give out to me now I need a new phrase um, <laughs> but it did it gave me a lot more uh, visibility as a scientist I would say like because um I like I didn't I didn't win the international final or anything I don't think did I I don't think I, I made it through say, did I win I can't remember no <laughs> but it's hard to remember it seems it just seems like so long ago but no no I didn't I know I didn't um <laughs> but it was it was still like an amazing experience and I got to meet so many amazing scientists that were passionate about not only communicating their work but also just trying to make the world a better place as well um and it gave me such a a boost and a platform as a scientist because you know after that I was you know asked for interviews I was on podcasts I was named as like one of the six rising stars of Irish research and stuff like that and I saw that article it was amazing like and I think it was maybe it was in the women's day that year or something I was listed as like alongside like all these incredible women women leading the way to scientific advancement and previously I had had to search out opportunities and I and I did that actively and enthusiastically. But then I found after I did FameLab and after I started to do a lot more of the science communication, because I also did other stuff with the Institute of Physics and I got the Early Career Physics Communicator Award, things just started to come to me then as well, which was such a shift for me. And it just made things a lot more interesting initially because I started to say yes to everything and then you know you have to be a little bit more selective as you go on in your PhD but yeah it it was just so interesting to see that I didn't necessarily have to hunt out everything now things were starting to come to me because I had been very vocal about what my interests and priorities exactly as well as being Neve, um, a very uh, high profile science communicator in this country I know you are interested in promoting other challenges within the science community do you want to comment on them a little bit more sure yeah so we know Neve, you're a very high profile woman in science communication here in this country and we know that science communication can open the doors and allow you to be passionate about other areas of science would you care to comment on yes yeah, of course yeah no like you're in terms of the the opening the doors it, it was a big thing for me in terms of that invisibility and a bigger platform it came with a lot of just things that I hadn't expected like people you know would turn then and say that's great it's nice to hear about your research but what is it like to be a woman in STEM in science technology engineering and maths well a woman in physics I had up to maybe that point, you know had my head down work hard and I hadn't really had much opportunity to reflect or maybe the privileges I, I hadn't had 
the cause to reflect really before that. I was just like, your work and get through it kind of a thing. But, you know, when you look back, like it's be easy to see that, especially for physics, I don't think men have opportunities to study and progress. Uh, you know, physics isn't offered as a leaving cert in a lot of all girls secondary schools in Ireland. And likewise with other subjects like engineering, construction studies, like tech graphics, things like barriers that women face as they progress through their career they're well documented in, in in comparison to their male counterparts so that then I got I started to get involved in a lot more um to increase the visibility and numbers of women in STEM such as uh, I got involved in the Impairing Women Committee at Tyndall National Institute where I did my PhD I became involved in the UCC Athena Swan um, initiative as well, which is uh, kind of it's national now. A lot of diff- different universities do it. It's a it's a structure and a, assess your your actions in terms of gender equality and then how to improve upon upon those. Another thing I did was I got involved in the Teen Turn initiative, which uh, works with young women from difficult backgrounds to take them into uh, scientific spaces. So for example, we had them in Tyndall for two weeks um, where they did little projects. They did, uh, they talked to different researchers just to see the different options that were there for them. And so we could inform them as to the path that they could if they want. That was a lot of my work uh, early on. But then I think as I started to read and research more obstacles that face you know they're they're manifold sexual is a big part of it women in sam repeatedly experiencing harassment being mistaken for administrative staff being forced to prove themselves to agree you know that their male colleagues aren't and also being told simultaneously to behave in a more aggressive and outspoken way while simultaneously so because of all of this, then I began to realize that I began to feel like a bit afflicted, right? That I was encouraging all these young women to pursue careers in STEM when the culture of STEM is very hostile potentially towards them. And it might be, you know, damaging to them um, in different ways. So I, my focus then shifted to um, not only increase the number and visibility of women in STEM, but to the visibility of barriers, obstacles and challenges that they face and then to try and change that culture. You know, I think that one of the biggest myths that I wish I could bust is that a lot of people assume that career advancement in STEM is based on merit or qualifications or hard work (laughs) and that is completely (laughs) independent (laughs) of other factors. (laughs) Oh, you can sing it. <laughs> yeah. You know, other like other factors such as gender and race. But like again and again, research is showing us that that's not the case. Um, one study, and I spoke about this in my one of my Bright, Bright Club sets, actually. There was a study done in 2012 where over 100 uh, STEM professors were asked to write CVs or resumes um, in terms of things like competence, hireability and starting uh, the catch was that all the CVs they sent out were absolutely identical, except half had a male name, John, and half had a female name, Jennifer. 
And the results showed that even though both the CVs, John uh, was rated higher than Jennifer in all aspects of competence, hireability and mentorship that these professors would mentor the person. Um, and the case was that um, when asked to assign a starting salary, uh, John was offered nearly $4,000 uh, than Jennifer, again, for the exact same CV. <laughs> and Dean uh, reconfirmed these results and also investigated the intersection of gender with race mm -hmm. and indicated that black and Latina women were doubly disadvantaged when it came to hireability in comparison to white men. I think like these are the biases that they they can manifest themselves outrightly but also I think is they're more insidious and they collectively create this environment where women feel like they don't belong like they aren't valued and like the odds are set against them you know it's that kind of thing where it's it's death by a thousand cuts and hard work and putting your head down and it just isn't always enough to get you through it because you can see for from all the research from the exact same qualifications you don't get the same opportunities or the same results you know so mm -hmm. that really opened my eyes and made me realize that there's things that we have to change so that when women do choose STEM careers because women are really interested in science that when they get here they feel like they're valued and like they can reach their full potential and they can have fulfilling careers, you know? Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And uh, did you see the guys who won the BT Young Scientist Award? Oh yeah, I did. Yeah, they're I great. Think, yeah, exactly. I think that just really shows that the, these unconscious biases, is that the correct term? Yeah. They're within, they're within people, in children as young as like five years old. Yeah. If you're coming up as a woman, be it uh, your background or whatever, and you're applying for a job to uh, a panel that are interviewing you that have grown up with those biases from five yeah. years old, I mean, you are up against it yeah. there. Like, that's an impossible code to crack and only for implementing the ideas that those students uh, showed in the BT Young Scientists. I think it was a very valuable piece of information and a very very valuable piece of research because it shows that it's even all of the uh, incredible women that have gone before us and the the improvements that have been made they're not enough yeah and I think I think that is definitely the first step is to address that individual accountability and to reflect on our own um, unconscious biases um, and I also think another thing is that unconscious bias training it has to go hand in hand with privilege because I think everyone has privilege in their own different ways and in different spaces but I also think and this is where things like Athena Swan come in that the next thing beyond that is to push for that real systematic change for example you know on like a departmental and an institutional level like are our decision makers diverse are our recruitment and promotional procedures attracting and retaining a diverse range of people um do we have pay transparency and all these self-checks that you can put in place to prevent those unconscious biases from contributing to that systematic oppression, you know? And I think like the final step then is like there has to be this real commitment to changing the culture of your organization to be more diverse and equal and inclusion, you know, like really ask yourself, is everyone safe in this space? You know, because if not, then harassers need to be educated or removed. One thing, like, 
said and I agree with is you can't keep bringing fish into shark infested waters and be surprised if they keep disappearing. (laughs) (laughs) You like the culture needs to be changed and there needs to be this ongoing commitment so that everyone is truly safe and included and valued and not pushed out over time. And, you know, I don't think that they talk about the leaky pipeline, but like the water in the pipeline can't fix those leaks. You know, we have to fix the leaks Mm. so that (laughs) we don't lose so many people. But really, at the end of the day, I think some people, you know, there is the leaky pipeline thing where, as time goes on, you lose more women as they progress throughout their careers and they choose different options outside STEM, perhaps. But then there's all of these other factors that we've discussed that are actively pushing them out as well, you know. Yeah. I like your leaky pipeline analogy. It makes a lot more It makes a lot of sense when you put it like that. But I think it's fantastic what you're doing for females within STEM and same with Fee. I think both of you and a lot of other females in STEM are are making the difference to encourage females within that industry or within the industry. So mm-hmm. I think it's a testament to you both that you've yeah. been you've done so well and uh, are are paving the way for other next generation females that might want to get into STEM. And I think that there is there's just so many small ways that we can have big impacts as well, and that I think gives me a lot of hope as well. You it's so important to take this time to reflect is you have to be willing I think to listen and believe and learn because like if someone's experience is completely different to yours I think it's so important to just listen to them um, believe them and take some time to think about why and to learn about why their experience might be different to your own you know yeah Um, there's so many powerful things that that you can do to to address these imbalances. Because I used to think things like, oh, being a woman in STEM is, is so difficult and it was really hard in college, you know, all that, that kind person. of, all of that, all that to be that person, exactly. And Yeah, exactly. And, and that's that's my um, cross to bear, for want of a better uh, statement, or what, what do we call them, or phrases. And I, then meeting other people at thing, at science communication events or at conferences or whatever, yeah. you're meeting people, and they're like, oh, no, I had a great time. Yeah. And like, well, what? <laughs> no, yeah. we're, we're all fighting the fight. You know? <laughs> yeah. And but I, I think as well, the, the great thing about science communication that, like, it really gives me a lot of hope as well is it started – to open my eyes to realize in a very impactful way is everyone is different in their own way and very few people actually fit into those strict confines of stereotypes you know and I do believe that if each of us keeps breaking the mold in our own unique ways that we can together like make the concept of what accepted and expected and celebrated we can make that concept broader over time so that more people can fit in and feel included and really like be valued as their authentic selves you know you can be a world-class physicist science communicator and stilt walker if you so wish to be (laughs) exactly (laughs) you can be whatever you want to be you can achieve your dreams i know well i didn't have any in the last episode so i thought i better make up for them (laughs) but like that's just that's amazing what you're doing neve and all power to you but we'll have to start winding down the episode now a little bit so oh my gosh I mean, <laughs> I'm so sorry I no 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 no, no 
it's okay it's okay um but we are coming to the end of the episode and i suppose you've covered so much with your your physics degree your phd fame lab just there's so much there that you've told us and it was a fantastic story and even the stilts and the the black belt in taekwondo was was also a highlight (laughs) but what's next for dr neve kepta I am uh, taking the my next career step into an exciting, innovative industry position. Um, so that's uh, my next step. Um, I really enjoyed my PhD and I loved uh, finding out how, you know, physics can solve those real world problems. But a lot of those solutions that I was researching, they weren't to be implemented on the ground for another five to 10 years, maybe. So mm-hmm. I really want to make sure that or I want for my next step that my work makes a more direct and immediate impact in the real world, you know. And then also as well, when it came to trying to figure out if I wanted to do a postdoc or not, my personal preference was that rather than becoming more niche in my own field, I wanted to become more closely connected to other people who are working at the cutting edge of science. You know, I want to say I have my fingers of interesting problems in physics. I want to be able to know what they are. Mm-hmm. And I want to have a role where I can interact with those problems and those people doing a wide scope of science research. So that was really, you know, wh- why I figured out that my goals and interests are probably more aligned with industry. Yeah, so I'm due to start a job in uh, two weeks time at the start of May 2020 as a scientific product specialist. Cool. Um, with a company called uh, M Square Laser, their photonic and quantum technology company, um, and yeah, I'm looking forward to new challenge that's going to present. That's, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like some sort of futuristic superhero. Leah thinks she's talking to a super. I know, I kind of do. Kind of do. <laughs> if you could, if you find a radioactive spider anywhere, let me know. oh yeah exactly (laughs) but that's fantastic Neve, and uh good luck to you with that when when the time comes hopefully we'll all be back to normal in the next few weeks or at least getting to back to normal in the next few weeks but that sounds awesome (laughs) fingers crossed things do get back to normal because it was also one of my goals that i want to live outside ireland uh for my next step as well Mm -hmm. i was originally supposed to move you mean you want to leave cork uh, berlin for this job but uh that is on pause at the moment i'm very fortunate that it looks like i can potentially start my new job remotely from here okay Um, so i feel very lucky in that regard Mm -hmm. but hopefully things will get moving again sometime soon yeah awesome we like to ask a few kind of quick fire questions to just to finish off the podcast on a sort of fun note not that it hasn't been fun but just like kind of just random questions three people dead or alive that you would like to have over for dinner this is such a top one. <laughs> oh, I find it so difficult. One person that I had the chance to meet recently and I would love to sit down with her for dinner was Angela Saini. She's a science journalist um, and she's written two books that have just completely changed and also in some ways reaffirmed my perspective on the world. So one is Inferior and that's about gender science and the other is Superior about race. So she would definitely, I would love to pick her brain. She's amazing. Mm-hmm. Another is who has unfortunately passed, uh, Brenda Howard. She was an American bisexual rights activist, a sex positive feminist, an anti-war campaigner. She was actually the person who organized the very first Pride Parade. So um, as a bisexual woman, I just think she would be amazing to 
talk to about and like learn from her experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and third, third, I think I have to go with uh, Mary Robinson. Oh, she, <laughs> <laughs> she became, yeah, like the first woman president of Ireland uh, the year I was born. And she's, you know, she was also a UN high commissioner. And now she has like a podcast for how climate change is a feminist issue. So I just like, I just think to be at a dinner table with those three women, which I just learned so much and I could just, yeah, I think it would be life changing. <laughs> yeah, that would be a serious, oh gosh, serious yeah. conversations at ta- that table. That's fantastic. Yeah. Okay, so uh, we love quotes here. Well, I do anyway. What is your favorite quote or mantra you like to live by or that you just like? Yeah, it it's changed a bit. Um, I was very, very shy when I was younger. I know mm-hmm. it's like not, doesn't match maybe right now. But my quote when I was growing up used to be, uh, do something that scares you every day because so many things scared me every day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I remember thinking that like, you know, when you in secondary school and you'd have to go to another class and you'd have to knock on the door to talk to a teacher. <laughs> yeah. like, that's what I would say to myself before I would knock on the other class's door and stuff. Do something that scares you every day. <laughs> but I think (laughs) it got me you know it got me to do the things I needed to do um we're talking to now was that me in school I was so shy I had like a stutter at one point I used to blush so much I was so shy no way yeah 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 (laughs) but yeah I think recently and especially throughout my like the end of my PhD, uh, one quote that I come back to a lot is Hosea's, it's not the waking, it's the rising. And I just love that quote so much mm-hmm, because to me, it means like, it's not just enough to realize that there's a problem. You have to get up and do something about it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, a, that's a good one. I like that one. Two very, two fantastic quotes, especially like the, the actually, no, I just like both of them. Um, no, so next question knowing what you know now what would you say to yourself 10 years ago oh my gosh this was such a, a trip because like I was trying to figure out where 10 years ago like I was at the beginning of of my physics degree in UCC and you know like I was saying to you I remember feeling like so much of that pressure of being underrepresented and mm-hmm. stuff like that and feeling like I don't want to make all women look bad or yeah, you know yeah. something mm-hmm. like that and I just wish I could get shape itself and say like you know like there really isn't any gender disparity in things like uh curiosity and commitment and capability and you know you you can't say the same thing about recognition and and compensation and opportunity but I just wish that I could have told myself that women don't need to change themselves so that they can benefit from careers in science what we need to do is change the culture of scientific careers so that it can benefit from more women. Because mm-hmm. every day I, I felt like I was trying to be something that I wasn't. And I think that was so difficult, but I just needed to figure out that we need to change the systems that we're working in. And that's not something easy to do, but it's, it doesn't, um, it doesn't put all the, the pressure and, and the weight on you, you know, to change yourself. Exactly. Exactly. Amazing. That's, a good way to think about it so if you had told me that 10 years ago I'd probably be like ah, I don't know what that means <laughs> yeah I know but that's how I was I was just like head down work hard and it will all work out you know yeah. what I mean and like yeah you do have to do that and sometimes you just have to get on with it but yeah. there's a lot more factors at play that I think I 
blamed myself for maybe certain things Mm -hmm. and it wasn't my fault at all like I didn't need to be fretting so much about all these things that were way outside my control Mm -hmm. exactly I used to come I used to my mantra years ago was you get out you get out what you put in but that's not always the case as you've highlighted now that working hard and things like that it's not all it's not a linear (laughs) it's not yeah yeah and I think you know it's important to realize that and it it does it takes some of the weight off sometimes Mm -hmm. exactly you can only do what you can do sometimes yeah (laughs) sometimes (laughs) so one last thought before we sign off uh what would you say to someone that's teetering on the edge of a big decision or or what life advice would you give to someone (laughs) oh my god no pressure this was like (laughs) I feel like at the end of the PhD trying to figure out what to do next was such like it felt like such a big life decision to me mm-hmm. so I was trying to like even just trying to figure out like what steps did I take with that like you said at the start Leah hindsight is so <laughs> it's so useful mm-hmm. I think like firstly to think about your own personal priorities and then think about what like what do you make time for the most in your life do they actually match do your priorities match with the things that you make time for you know and if you if not, do you want to correct correct that mismatch? And if so, how, you know? Mm-hmm. I think that a big thing for me as well was to think about what happens to your energy levels after you do different things. So there are certain things that I do that leave me feeling more energized and more positive. But there's other things that I do that just completely zap all of my energy and they leave me feeling really negative so I try to make the decisions that allow me to do more of the first thing rather than the second thing you know yeah I love and then at the end of the day then like what I try to think about what ways can you use whatever power and skills and talent that you have to make the most impactful change in line with those personal priorities you know like what there's only so much that you can do so what with the limited you know hours that we have in the day and energy that we have what can you do that will make the most impactful change in the direction you want to go in mm-hmm. I love that yeah that's amazing that's <laughs> I need that tattooed to my head so do I because I need to remind myself every day as well you know <laughs> that's yeah that's amazing advice and just a, a great way to finish off the episode and just want to say thank you so much Dr. Neve Kavna uh, for <laughs> still getting used to hearing it <laughs> for uh, joining us on our on our podcast it was our little podcast li- our little thank you for baby. having me and, and you're very welcome I hope you enjoyed <laughs> chatting to us and telling us all about your journey so far and what a fantastic journey it's been yeah and oh. will continue to, to be by the sounds of things um <laughs> So thank you again very much. But I suppose before we go, we just want you to maybe shout out any social medias or anything that where people can find you or anything that you want to kind of shout out to people. Sure, yeah. The best way to follow what I'm up to, I pretty much put everything on my Twitter. So that's at Neve Talking 90. Uh, <laughs> Neve is not spelt like how it sounds. It's <laughs> N-I-A-M-H <laughs> Talking 9090 90 at the end. That's an Twitter name for you. Yeah, I, I got it actually because my nanny used to always give out to me and my sister for talking so fast. She'd be like, oh God, Harry, you're talking 90. Aww. So I just thought it was like a nice little, when I had to come up with a handle that was like, yeah, I'm going to do this. And I do have the awful habit of talking far too fast. 
<laughs> and I get enthusiastic. So um, yeah, I felt like it suited me. Awesome. Perfect. Yeah, so that's it for our little next gen oh, film. Oh, I forgot. Can I plug something as well? Of course. Sorry, yeah, go, go for it. I'd like to plug, if I could, um, mm-hmm. LGBT STEM Day on the 18th of November this year. Okay. I work with House of STEM, which is Ireland's uh, first network for LGBTQ people working in STEM. Mm-hmm. And we are working with other similar organizations globally to organize this day, which increases visibility of LGBTQ people working in STEM and then the challenges that those people face. We organized the first one in July 2018. And that reached uh, 75 million people worldwide. So it changed this year to November uh, with everything going on. Mm -hmm. Um, Because unfortunately, uh, research has shown that an anti-LGBTQ plus bias is particularly evident in STEM fields Mm -hmm. in comparison to other fields. So I think it's just important to make people aware of it. And then just so people know that LGBTQ people exist in all walks of life. So I'd love to plug that for November 18th. You can find it under hashtag LGBT STEM Day online. Okay, perfect. That's fantastic. We might drop you a line close to the time, Neve. Great, I'd love to. With the House of STEM Day, definitely. Yeah, that's fantastic. So yeah, again, thank you very much for being on our little podcast. It's been myself, (laughs) Fee and Neve on today's episode of Next Gen Femme. So we'll catch you all in the next episode. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.